Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. I think most of us know what it's like to work with a group of people that don't understand your style. A manager who makes you use spreadsheets for everything, even though they know you hate spreadsheets. Or colleagues who keep vetoing your ideas without offering up any of their own. Shall I continue, or are you ready for this labored metaphor to end? What I'm saying is, it's a really frustrating counterproductive way to work, right? The best collaborations come about when a group of individuals can work together as a single organism with a shared vision. And that's especially true with musicians. The creation of an album is such an intimate thing. Recording artists put so much of themselves into their music, and they want to assemble a team that will help them to produce new work in a nurturing, supportive, and joyful environment. And sometimes that's easier said than done. Throughout the early and mid-70s, Billy Joel had an incredible amount of bad luck in the studio. But by 1977, everything started to fall into place. He had a lean, tight band who understood and enhanced his music and live performances, and after they played a string of legendary shows at Carnegie Hall, the final piece of the puzzle fell into place when they met superstar producer Bill Ramone, a man who loved everything about Billy and the band. He was someone who would effectively become a member of the band himself. For the first time in his life, Billy was going into the studio with everything he needed to bring his ideas to fruition without anyone trying to steer him in an unnatural direction, and he dove into the work with a renewed sense of optimism. But any musician can tell you, even with all those ingredients in place, it's all theoretical until you actually get into the studio and see what develops. My best records have been ones where there's really strong leadership, whether that be from my side on the artist side or from the producer side or both. And then you're able to build a cast of characters around that. This is singer-songwriter Andrew McMahon. You know, a lot of times, you know, I'll go into a record not knowing what the vision is yet, right? You're kind of pulling at it thread by thread until you start seeing something take shape, right? And I think it speaks volumes to the collaboration that is on this record, The Stranger, that the producer is in the band photo on the back of the album, right? Like, and to me, I think a great producer who understands your vision, but has something really unique to add is so essential. At least it has been for me in my process. Like I, I don't like tension in the studio. I think there are some acts over the course of history that like that push and pull sense of competition between band members or, or people within the studio has led to really great work. I've found personally that having harmony in the studio and a team of people who are willing to just keep trying until the track jumps out of the speakers and they're all just dancing and excited to be there and be a part of it is really powerful. That sense of crackling excitement and jubilation was there in the studio from the moment the Stranger Sessions began. 
I walked in with Slow Ramon, who I'd always wanted to work with for a long time. He loved my band. So right away, that was like, he likes my band. You know, I wanted up that is. And the band got off on that. Wow, a producer likes us. And that, you know, every album before that had kind of been traumatic to make. It almost been clinical, chemical, not a very pleasant experience. And this album was just fun. It was the first time I really had a lot of fun making a record. That feeling didn't just exist in the studio. It's infused into every second of The Stranger. It's in the songwriting, the production, the musicianship, every individual component. It's an infectious exuberance that has echoed throughout the global cultural landscape for the last 45 years. And it all stems from three incredible weeks in the summer of 1977. On this episode of The Opus, we're taking a peek behind the curtain of The Stranger Sessions. The camaraderie fostered by Phil Ramone's leadership that all contributed to the creation of nine songs that changed Billy Joel's life forever. For the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy, I'm Adam Unz, and this is The Opus. So come on, Virginia, show me a sign. Send up a signal, I'll throw you the line. Stained glass curtain, you're hiding behind. Never lets in the sun. Darling, only the good die Beginning work on The Stranger was really exciting for Billy and the band, but it was also a little intimidating. This was a big step up from the recording of Turnstiles, and there were some sort of first day of school vibes as they headed into work. Drummer Liberty DeVito felt that sense of nervous excitement acutely as he headed into the studio for the first time. Now we're in this major studio that you have seen so many times on album covers, A&R Studios, with this major producer. This is the big time now. I, I got nervous when I heard the names of who he produced. You know, I thought, oh my God, this is going to be so cool. Any worry he had dissipated almost immediately when the work actually got started. Just a, a wonderful, wonderful environment to be in. And not really thinking about like, this is going to be a smash. You know, not even thinking about that. And just having a good time again, you know, having fun. Phil Ramone helped to develop that feeling of looseness and fun. When he signed up to produce The Stranger, he knew exactly what kind of band he was working with. He could see that there were two crucial elements at play. They didn't take themselves too seriously, and they loved the feeling of playing live. I run a loose ship because it's not about intense. I mean, I, the person who does all my production, she always says to me, I never know if you're ever going to finish on time, if you're going to go over budget. There's an internal clock. And if I smell that we're moving towards a good place, I nail it. If I don't, and we go an hour and a half or two, and we have nothing but frustration, what's the point? As soon as he first set foot in the studio, Billy could tell that Phil just got it. 
he's kind of the um, spur of the moment kind of guy. I mean, he's able to do very professional polished recordings with, you know, more refined people, but he is also able to improvise, you know, at the moment. And that's a lot of what was going on in the studio. We were just trying things out and with no plan at all to it. It was totally disorganized. It was anarchy in a way. And Phil helped to shape it. And he knew when it was a good take. He knew when we should move on. He knew when, you know, okay, stop kidding around. Let's get back to work. It also went to encourage us when we were stuck. So he was able to wing it. I didn't know that he'd be able, he'd be that good at it, but it worked out. He became one of the guys in the band, actually. That's why we have him on the album cover. The guy in the back wearing the Yankee shirt is Phil Remote. To us, he was just like another guy in the band. He was just as important as, as the rest of them. Even when his decision seemed completely out of left field, Phil Ramone knew exactly what he was doing. The controlled chaos Billy described had a lot of method to its madness. Phil was enormously well regarded throughout the music industry, and he'd been developing his techniques for years and years before work began on The Stranger. Phil Ramone is just exceptionally open-minded and incredibly skilled. And even by that point, had experience across the fault line of the time where there was mono and they were recording like that. And being in the studio, like with Leslie Gore, who wanted to make a double of her vocal, but they didn't have that technology yet. This is singer, songwriter and musician Ben Folds. And in case you don't recognize Leslie Gore's name, you certainly remember her songs. It's my party and you don't own me from the 1960s. Phil told me about this in my studio one time. He said, yeah, Leslie wanted to do a double track vocal, and we figured out how to do it on an Ampex mono machine using a race head in order to overdub onto it. This is like history shit. He told her she had one shot because she would, all the players are gone. You've got your take. If you sing out of tune or something's messed up or we mess up something, you're fucked. You don't have anything at all. And uh, she said, yeah, let me have it. And she nailed it. He was a guy who was willing to roll the dice, to take gigantic chances with his work. Who better to bring the excitement of Billy's live shows to The Stranger? So he comes to Billy Joel with a lifetime of experience already. I don't know how many producers there are anymore that are skilled in the way that Phil Ramone was at both capturing something live and making sure we have a stamp on it. Try to make a live sounding record in the studio that doesn't sound like shit. Yeah, good luck. It's hard to do. He takes chances, he pushes it, but he can because he's so good. He's so good. You know, the skill level of Phil Ramone and of Billy Joel, I'm not sure we're really seeing a lot of that now. They're just, they had to be that good. You know, like I say, Phil came from that kind of recording that I mentioned with Leslie Gore that you only had one shot and Billy Joel did as well. And they just had to get it right. Yeah. Pretty, pretty impressive. You're seeing pretty much brilliance on every level. Achieving that live sound took an enormous amount of technical skill and studio experience, but it all started out with a deceptively simple tool, a pile of blankets. We came in as a rhythm section, like I said, bass, drums, piano, and set up the drums in a booth. So there wouldn't be a lot of leakage because leakage is when one instrument is heard through another instrument's microphones. So I'd have the piano set up 
and covered up with blankets, but there would be microphones inside underneath the blankets. And the drums would have their microphones around them and the bass player would have his amplifier in another booth with microphones. But we try to isolate it so there's not a lot of leakage. But because of the nature of how we play, my drummer played very, very loud. I sang at the same time I played the piano, so my vocal leaked into the piano. So you really couldn't get all the isolation. And in a way, that created its own sound. You know, the sound of a vocal inside the piano, going through the piano mics, the drums coming in through the blankets into the piano mics and into the vocal mic, all made for a kind of organic sound. It was not high tech, not a high tech way to do things. Most of the times a rhythm section will play on a recording, a basic track without the singer. And then the singer comes in later and does the vocal. Well, I don't like to do that. I like to sing at the same time that I play because I play differently when I'm singing and I sing differently when I'm playing. And that's what we do. Uh, it's as live as you can get. And that's what we were going for. So that's how the original type of recording started for The Stranger. Capturing a live sound on a recording is really difficult. It's a delicate balance between tight musicianship and the free, easy energy of a band having the time of their lives. Phil Ramone found a way to harness those opposing forces, and Moving Out is a perfect example of that tightrope walk. And it seems such a waste of time If that's what it's all about Mama, if that's moving up, then I'm moving out It's both precise and incredibly loose at the same time. And that magical ability to walk such a fine line has kept musicians like the Arkell's Max Kerman awestruck for decades. How do you capture the energy and chemistry between musicians without making it completely like sterile? Because that can often happen when you're in the studio. Things sort of get too perfect and you lose the feel. And I think that's what makes moving out so good. Because I'm like, oh, it really feels like a live band is doing it. And it's so tight and perfect, but it's still kind of badass and raw and rock and roll all at once. Like you want that electricity, I think, in the recordings. You can hear the balance between the rough and the smooth everywhere on The Stranger through the spirit of camaraderie and collaboration that Billy and Phil developed. Billy always had the final say, but he was never closed off to other people's ideas. He knew that he was working with people he could trust, people who would serve the common goal of making the best music possible. And Phil was really impressed with that sense of openness. I think he always left the space for anybody to throw an idea. I, I always felt people wanted to take credit for his writing when they shouldn't. It's an adjunct to say, you know, this would be so much better if the bridge didn't even appear here. Maybe there's only one moment in the song. Then you're, you're honing in on the song. I think there's a lot of sense about how you, the captain of a ship with seven or eight members in it, it's really tough. But you can't apply the same rules. Billy is still, I see him even now as a boxer that's gonna come out in the ring. And if you don't have your shit together, you're gonna be in trouble. And you can't apply formula. There's never been a formula that I ever saw that worked for him. There wasn't any room for formula in that environment. They were having a blast and working at breakneck speed. So many of the decisions that shaped the biggest songs on the album were made on the fly. Just the way you are is a perfect example. I don't want clever conversation. 
decisions. You have to remember that this was the late 1970s. Everything was analog. If you made a mistake, you couldn't just hit undo. You could lose everything that you worked on. So edits had to be made with incredible care. There are some solos, like Phil Wood's saxophone solo and Just The Way You Are is a combination of about six solos. He came in and overdubbed the piano solo for Just The Way You Are. And Phil would be listening to him going, hmm, I like this part of that song, I like that part of this song, and spliced them all together. And these are the days when you had to do it with a, a razor blade and tape. And we, were, we would watch him cut the tape and go, you know, be sure you got it right? He goes, yeah, don't worry about it, I know what I'm doing. And he did know what he was doing. And when you listen to that sax solo, it sounds like organically one sax solo, like it was all played in one shot. But he actually smoothed it so it all sounded like it was done at, at one moment. And it wasn't. It was done in six different times. successfully splicing tape together like that since his early days of engineering for folks like Leslie Gore, but Billy wasn't afraid to take those leaps of faith either. The work dynamic between them was so new, but they still trusted each other implicitly. The process of creating The Stranger was defined by collaboration, and everyone can feel it in the music, even fellow musicians like Rozzy. Collaboration is everything for me. It would not be possible for me to make a record without it. I depend on collaboration. My collaborators are like soulmates. And finding a producer that's your soulmate producer, I actually think it's as hard as finding your like soulmate in love. Billy Joel had like a spirit of fun. I love that. I think all art should be fun. I completely agree with that. So that's important with a collaborator. It's a crucial relationship for me and a, and a really, really hard one to find. When that perfect relationship develops, it's not just the musicians and producers and engineers who can feel it. The fans can feel it too. And that's a big part of The Stranger's staying power. The energy of that incredible connection is infused in the entire album. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but it was very lucky that Billy turned out George and we got Phil. This is Liberty DeVito again. Phil became one of us. He would listen to our opinions and, and we would respect his. As soon as the album was released, they all felt the winds shifting when they played those songs live. I knew that something was happening and, and was really ready, ready to break. We played the Daughters of the American Revolution Hall in Washington, D.C. And when we came out of the doors after the show, all these girls kind of jumped on Billy. And so now I'm standing outside this big group of girls and Billy's in the middle. Now Billy's short. He's got to stand on his toes to look up at me. And I'm looking at him and going, I think we did it. I think we did it. 
king and the queen of the farm Riding around with the car top down and the radio on Nobody looked any finer Always more of a hit at the Parkway Diner We never knew we could want more than that out of life On the next episode of The Opus, we're digging into six classic songs from The Stranger. We're doing a deep dive into the biggest hits from the album, how they were created, the stories they told, and the impact they've had on generations of musicians and fans. For the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy, I'm Adam Unz, and this has been The Opus. Welcome to the In Defense of Ska podcast. There's a lot of like, okay, well, you like Ska name three bands that aren't the Boss Tones. I'm your host, Aaron Carnes, music journalist and author of the book In Defense of Ska. And I'm your co-host, Adam Davis, veteran Ska musician from the bands Omnigon and Link 8. On our show, we aim to push back on the mainstream's negative perception of Ska music. There are so many great untold stories throughout the history of Ska. The show features interviews with everyone from the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones to Fishbone, Fall Out Boy singer Patrick Stump, and the police drummer Stuart Copeland. Join us on In Defense of Ska from the Consequence Podcast Network, 